0: We uh, we try to to embrace the the heart of God in our worship and to give our best and uh, the abilities He's given us. So, and that's how it should be for all of us. Um, it is my delight to be speaking to you guys today. I missed you. Um, I haven't spoken here since before my wedding, so that was probably like, October ish twentieth ish. Um, so some of you guys are. Glad that I haven't spoken. Some of you guys miss me too. I pray that most of you miss me. Today, I am going to talk with you about the power of God's Word. Uh, It's part of the Essentials of Faith series that we're doing. However, I don't really think... uh, I may not be teaching you guys something all new. Uh, Maybe it'll be presented a different way. For those of you who are just starting out in your faith journey... Um, this is one of the most essential things that you can get a hold of that will lay a foundation for the rest of your life as you uh, come to know God more and more. Not know about God, because there's a lot of people who just want to learn about God, but it doesn't change the heart. Our goal is to get you to come to a relationship where you will get to know God, not just stories about him. But that you'll hear his heartbeat, that you'll hear his voice when he says, "Don't worry, I'm gonna get you a violin." Amen. Okay, so I want to start off with this scripture, uh, Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse three. I've got quite a few scriptures. If you guys are really good with in Sunday school when I was growing up, they called it sword practice, where they say, "Okay, go, Second Corinthians chapter eleven, and the first one to get there, you know." We got like, I don't know, a gummy bear. Um, But but they're going to be on the walls, too. Uh, Oh, I wanted to tell you, in your bulletins, on that little perforated page, there's the sermon notes. For me, I am a note taker. Um, Most of you are not. I understand that. Today, I challenge you. I beg you, take notes. Um, because I I really believe that what God has to say today can and will transform your heart if you'll take it beyond today and uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Look at your notes again. Um, Okay, here we go. Read this with me. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Okay, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here, and he's saying, I'm afraid that that you're going to be taken away from the simplicity of your faith, just like Eve was deceived by the serpent. Um, In Genesis chapter 3, 1, don't turn there, I'm just going to reference it. Um, Genesis 3, it says that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, "Indeed, has God said that you should not eat from this one tree right? You guys know the rest of the story. Let's start. so say that say that, has God said? Okay, now say that as a question. Has God said and and this is what he's taught from the very beginning, from the very beginning. What removed us from relationship with God was this question. It started with this question. Has God said? So how do you know what God says unless you read his word? Right? I mean, this, this makes, it's one of those duh things, but so much of our time, I mean, we, we spend hours on end of our week doing all kinds of other things And then we come, many people come on a Sunday morning and hope for a little two-hour fill-up that's going to last them the rest of the week. And it doesn't. And so then you come in beaten and bruised and you're sucking fumes and you're like, I need another fill-up. And it's not our job to feed you. It's your job to be in the word, to be in relationship with God. To find substance and nurture. This is Jesus himself when he was tempted in the wilderness said that man does not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. By every word that God breathes. It is our food. And it is what strengthens us and nourishes us and helps us to grow strong. So tell me. Um, have you, how many you guys have heard the, the little passage, scripture verse many people attach is uh, this too shall pass. Raise your hand. What about "spare the rod, spoil the child"? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. None of those are biblical. Except "spare the rod, spoil the child" is 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 uh, loosely in there. It's in Proverbs thirteen. The principle is correct. If you spare the rod, you're going to spoil your child. But it's not phrased just like that. What about um, "God helps those who help themselves"? Okay, now that's not biblical either. Actually, that comes from Aesop's fables back around 500, 600 BC. And it was about a guy who was driving his wagon through the mud. And he got stuck halfway in the the mud, halfway up. And he prays to Hercules to get him out. And Hercules responds, the gods help those who help themselves. And then you heard Benjamin Franklin. He echoed that um, uh, in the founding of our country. That God helps those who help themselves. And that's not biblical at all. Uh, We're to rely on him. We are to be dependent on God. That is exactly where he wants us to be. So how about this one? God works in mysterious ways. I mean, I believe it. I believe it, but it's not in the Bible. It's not phrased like that in the Bible. He does work in mysterious ways. I mean, in Hebrews 13, he says, behold, I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. And then we see and was it Jeremiah Uh, or is Isaiah? It's one of those big prophets. Uh, Behold, I will do something new. You know, will you not be aware of it? And, And so there's this then there's this secret plan that God has that we read about in Ephesians where he pulls out this this trick play. To completely baffle the enemy and bring salvation to mankind by Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The devil was not prepared for that. He was like, whoa, side blind. So God does work in some mysterious ways, but that's his wisdom. Um, And the great thing that I want to say about this, God works in mysterious ways. Absolutely. But he does not want to remain mysterious. That is not who God is. He does not stay aloof. He does not stay, you know, hidden behind smoke and mirrors and the man behind the curtain. Um, he makes himself known. In fact, Romans 21 says that all of creation testifies. That it it's reveals the hidden attributes of God. And it, it speaks. It's his fingerprints are all over. So you're without an excuse for knowing that there is a God. Now we want to say, and that he loves you. And how do we know that? Through his revealed word. And how can we have assurance of that? How can we really believe that? Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. So that we can be made right with God. To have relationship with him. So we've got a general revelation and creation. We got a specific revelation in the Bible and his word that he has spoken through the prophets and the apostles and a specific revelation through Jesus Christ, a personal revelation. So what I want to say about the power of the word of God is that an encounter with the living God will change you from the inside out. Amen. Now I'm serious. If you haven't witnessed this in your own life, today is your day for a brand new start, a brand new heart, a brand new life, brand new habits to be formed. Today you can find restoration, transformation, regeneration through the power of God's word that and it's ultimately through Jesus Christ. That we can come to God because of Christ and have the Holy Spirit who does the signs, wonders, and miracles, who changes. Well, let me read my note here, okay? Um, God has spoken to us directly, say directly, through the Bible because he wants to be known. We can have an encounter with the living God that brings healing, comfort, hope, correction, Salvation, peace, and strength every day. Amen. We don't need a special conference. We don't need some big name minister. You don't need a mountaintop experience to see transfer- transformation in your hearts, in your minds, in your homes, in your habits. And your priorities. You don't need some big goosebumps. And I felt. I, I, I know God was here. Because I got goosebumps kind of a thing. It's right here. Right here. That you get to know the very heart of God. Through his word. You get to know this. And in the 1500s. When the first Bible was translated. From Latin to. Which is archaic. And it was dying language. To English. When it became available for the people to read, man, it was told that you couldn't read this stuff. Only the priests and the high holy people, religious leaders could read the word of God. And and really, they'll tell you what it means. And what a transformation. Are you serious? I can have a relationship with God. Amen. Yes, you can. So the power of God's. Word. Why is we? Why do we call the Bible God's word? Because it's many. It's God's words, um, because He spoke. Uh, we'll get into that. I'll pull up that scripture verse later on about Second Timothy three sixteen. Every every scripture is inspired by God or God breathed, depending on which translation you read. Um, and I firmly believe that the apostles and the prophets in First Peter we read that um, that they didn't. this and make it up on their own but that the holy spirit directed them and told them exactly what to speak and so let's see you guys should recognize some of these things when god speaks things come into existence yes you know about like look behind you that that map back there okay that was formless and void at one point there was nothing and god says let there be light and poof stars appear Right. I mean, this is the power of just God's word. Let there be light. Let the waters part and the sand and whatever the the soil come up. You know. He didn't have to use his hands. Are are you seeing it's just his words that boom, things have to move. Um, He commands and everything obeys. Remember when Jesus was on the boat. And the seas were going crazy and he's sleeping and the disciples are freaking out. We're going to lose our life. And they're like, Jesus, wake up. How can you be asleep in the midst of all this? And Jesus says, you have little faith. He, He stands up and he says, stop. He rebuked the wind and the waves and they look at him and it's just like, whoa, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? This is amazing. This is the power of God's word. He whispers, and the fearful come out of hiding. That's talking about um, Jeremiah, actually, he wasn't in the lightning, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the storm, but it's still a small voice. And he came, and he called him out of hiding because he was afraid that Jezebel was going to kill him. Um, He speaks, and justice prevails. Hope is renewed. Minds are changed. Lives are saved. Peace reigns. Confusion stops and evil flees. That is what happens when God speaks. When He speaks directly into your situation, when you have an encounter with the living God, you cannot stay the same because He is spiritual, He is holy, He is pure. And there is something that happens and it's just like, like in Isaiah six, when we read that, he, he's like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. When he sees the spirit of God coming in the temple, he's like, I don't belong in this scene. And God purifies us. He doesn't kick us out. Say, what's, what's wrong with this picture? Ah, you go. No, he makes it, he makes us acceptable, even before Christ. Jesus before Jesus, God was making us right with himself. He was he was giving us ways to be to to find forgiveness, that our sins would be cast as far as the east is from the west. That's in Psalms, not in the New Testament. That our sins are trampled beneath his feet. That God, he is always a gracious, loving God who wants, desires intimacy with us. Um. The words he sends out will accomplish their mission. Nothing will stop it. And his words, they will endure forever. We see this in Matthew twenty four thirty five, when Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of God sets us free. We just sang today, I am free to run. The word of God, all truth is God's truth. Some of you may not like that. Some of you may grapple with that. But truth is, is the nature of who God is. All truth is God's truth. And here's the deal. Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In just a minute, I'm going to help you see what does he mean by truth. You will know the truth. Well, what is truth? That was what Pontius Pilate said to him before he. When he was in trial to Jesus, what is truth? That's a question for today's age, especially our college students. You're always confronted with that. What is truth? Truth is relative. Truth is what you make it. So let's look at the power of the word of God. Hebrews four twelve. It's going to be on the screen. This is one of this is the first Bible verse I ever memorized at 10 years old. For the word of God. You know what? This is powerful. You guys need to read this. All right. Read this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. It's piercing. It's a two-edged sword. My uh, dad and I, we were retrieving a wayward frisbee um, <laughs> Friday night, and we had a machete. And that's just a one-edged sword, all right? And how much cooler would it have been to just go whoosh, 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 with a two-edged sword? Actually, it would be nice if the machete was sharp. But, um, but here's the deal. It's a two-edged sword. There's, there's two parts. There's a dynamic that it gets – it is so fine – That there's a division between soul and spirit. Wait a minute, I thought they were the same thing. Raise your hand if you thought they were the same thing, soul and spirit. One person, two person. Used to think, okay. Soul and spirit are two different things. No, I'm not going to go into that today. We're talking about the word of God and not the difference between flesh, soul, and spirit. Um, Both joints and marrow, and it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, we saw this back in Samuel, uh, when, when Samuel was going to pick out King David. And Samuel looks at all of David's, he, well, the next king, which happened to be David. Samuel goes and looks at all of David's brother, because God says it's in this household. And he's like, hey, that's a strapping young lad. That's got to be the king. And God says, no, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the inside or heart. Yes, you guys are on, you're on target. Okay, Um, God looks at the heart, and so the Word of God it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The law, which is the Old Testament, if you guys want a fun read, you can look at Leviticus. Um, The (laughs) the law proved our need for a savior. Okay, the law prove that we couldn't do it on our own, that we needed God's help. The word of God, when God speaks to us, though, is not to bring condemnation and separation. But to draw us closer, to put his finger on something that offends him. And he says, are you willing to give that up to be with me? See that in Psalm 139, 24 and 25. No, it's not on the wall. Um, it's at the end, it's where David, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out if there's anything in me that's offensive to you, and lead me in the ways of everlasting life. That is what the Word of God does. If we will be honest with God, honest with ourselves, God will get to the root, say root, God will get to the root of the issue and we're going to stop messing around, picking up the bad fruit on the ground because it doesn't solve anything. You got to lay the axe to the root. You guys with me? All right. I know I'm not really talking about some new stuff to to you guys, perhaps, but it's fun. Um, So let's get in. You got my little slide for the power of the word of God, a little description there. There you go. Power of God's word. It increases faith, gives hope, models love, transforms the mind, changes the heart. You guys see faith, hope, and love in there? All right, that's what our church is all about. We are a place of faith, hope, and love. And this is the power of God's word. Now let's do the next one, the purpose of the word of God. It is to reveal who God is, who we are, how to have a growing relationship with him. I know that seems really simple explanation of why we have this, but I mean, how much more complicated do you want to make it? That's the story of my life. I always try to find ways to complicate things, but this is simple. This is, it reveals who he is, who we are, because that's the greatest question we always ask is what is my purpose in life? And how that the two of us can interact So simple. So let's look at, um, well, I'm going to read my little note that I wrote here for you guys. In one book, God has given us everything that we need to know about himself, his son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, our need for him, his desire for us, the personal relationship between man and God that has been made available through his son, Jesus how he wants us to live this life, the things he wants us to do and the things he doesn't want us to do. Is anything left out there? I mean, seriously, we should always be directing people back to the word of God for solutions to life's problems. What do we do with stem cell research? It's in here. How do we deal with abortion? It's in here. What about slavery? It's in here. What about the stock market and how we handle our money? Should we take a loan out? Sign a loan for somebody else? It's in here and the answer is no. All of life's issues. All right, moving on. Romans 12:2. If you guys want to write this down, I don't think it's on it's not on there, right? I didn't give that to you. Romans 12:2 is powerful. It's awesome. One and two is really the scripture verse, but I will read just verse two for you. I have a passion for the word of God. The more I hang out with me, the less I like me. And the more I hang out with the word of God, the more I find out he likes me. And... I really, you know, you just want to be around somebody that likes you. You know, we got a dog on Thursday. We're, we're doing a test run. Um, if we If we can keep it, manage it, or whatever. We called it Rufus. And this dog just loves to be with me. And so, naturally, I'm just like... Oh, that's so awesome. I just want to go. And I'm like, I go and I seek Rufus out and I want to spend time with him. He's just like "Ah," licking me and everything. And it's like, it's a no brainer. I mean, you want to be around somebody that wants to be around you. If not, there's some, there's some heart issues that's going on where you're isolating yourself and you're giving ear to the, the accuser who's tearing you down. And you're stuck in this cycle of depression. And I'm telling you, there is hope and freedom in Christ. And you can find that in the word of God. So Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't do what everyone else around you is doing. But let God say it. Let God what? Say that again. Transform you. okay? There's a difference between letting God make you pretty. There's a difference between letting God dress you up or change your clothes. And a transformation. I didn't think of this verse when I was typing up my notes, but I thought of it now. And it's 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says that. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore for the old life is gone. A new life has begun. They are transformed like the caterpillar to the butterfly. You can't tell that it was a caterpillar. And that is what it's like when we allow God to really take hold of our heart. When we give our heart to God and what we want and how we feel and what we think when we yield and say, God, what do you want? How do you feel about this person? There's a transformation and you will never be the same. Um, so let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How does he change the way you think through his word? Um, Well, I just answered that. Let's throw it to Romans ten seventeen. So go ahead, read this with me. So faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. Another translation says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's New King James Version. Second um, Timothy three sixteen, New Living Translation. That's the one that's in the Pew Bible in front of you guys. Uh, it says, go and read this with me. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I mean, isn't that pretty simple? I'm talking about the purpose of the word of God. Does that sound pretty purposeful? Tells us what it does. Now, another translation that you guys are familiar with. This is New American. Read this with me. As it changes. There we go. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work is verse 17. Um, What is it for? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training us up in righteousness. Say training. Guys, you are all... In training, I am in training. We are—I don't know—it's so cliche. We are soldiers in the army of God. You know what I mean? That—that's—that's that's the truth, though. Um, Ephesians six. No, don't pull it up. Um, Ephesians six, talking about put on the armor of God, so that you can stand your ground when the fiery darts of the enemy start coming your way, that you are protected. We are in a battle and we constantly need to be training and, and perfecting. And the moment you slack, the moment you let your guard down is the moment that arrow pierces. Let's move on to the passion for the word of God. I know some of you may think I'm a little freak because I, I really like this Bible a little too much and maybe I should go golfing or something. Um, some of you don't think I like it enough. And here's the deal. We all need each other. There are certain things that if, if I seem a little extreme, you need me and I need you. If you don't think that I'm passionate enough, if you think that I'm missing something, if I'm if I what this is too important for you to be so laissez faire with. I need you to speak into my life. We're all in this together. High school musical. Um, now, seriously, we are, we are. We're all in this together. Yes? Are you guys? I mean, the, the, one of the greatest lies that this generation, this, our American culture is, is, is swallowing is this whole take care of yourself. And I don't need anyone else. And you know what? You just leave yourself. You don't know me. You can't judge me about my walk with God. Well, guess what? Jesus says, judge a tree by its fruit. And the fruit that I see in your lives, not you, sorry. The fruit I see in your life says that God isn't a priority to you. Now, am I judging you and saying you're going to hell? No, I'm not. I am saying, hey, you better get right before you get left. I'm saying there's there's a standard. Ephesians 5.8 says that. You know, so we used to walk in the darkness, but now as children of the light, our lives should reflect a change. Our behavior should show it. The change that God has worked inside of us. And so it's so essential for us to be together. And a passion for the word of God um, is not something that this person has and this person doesn't. It's something we all must have. It is essential. Otherwise, you die of starvation. If you don't eat the word, which I'm gonna get into in just a minute, if you don't eat it, if you don't feed on the word of God, you're going to be like Jesus says, the parable of the sower, where he goes out and he sows seed and some lands on the road, some lands on the rocks, some lands in the weeds, some lands on good soil. And the one that lands in the rocks, it starts to take root, comes up, woohoo, life is good. But the heat of the day comes and the hard times come and it doesn't, can't get its roots down. And it withers and dies because of hardship in life. And so we need to feed on the word of God. That is what changes our mind, changes our heart, changes the way we treat one another. Because as we read the word of God and not just read it, but assimilate it. Yes, I'll get into that word in just a minute. When we absorb it into our heart, into who we are. That is when the change and transformation comes. It doesn't do any good for you guys to know that that stove is hot and still touch it. You guys, yeah, I know this is real simplistic, elementary, but so much of our faith is simple. Just knowing something isn't good enough. That's something my dad, Pastor Joel, is on a kick with. He's hypersensitive to people who say, I know. Um, because, because if you knew, why would I be telling you instructions on this? Um, typically with children talking about here. Um, well, (laughs) adults too. Um, right. Can you help me? My marriage is failing. Uh, okay. Well, what about this? Oh, I know. Okay. Then why is your marriage failing? You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I think that was a sidetrack. That was a rabbit trail. I'm sorry. Um, Talking about I know. Ah, I remember where I was going with that. Um, When you say, like, I know. Knowledge, they say knowledge is power. Knowledge is futile. Wisdom is applying that knowledge. That is where power comes. And so it's not enough to just know what the word of God says. Because you can say, raise your hand if you can quote John 3.16. Raise your hand. Hi, just something to be proud of. It's okay. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. Right? Will not perish. I know all these other translations. Good. I'm glad you know those. Um, you know it. You know what? There's a lot of people sitting in churches who have heard that so much they've learned it. They know it, but they're still going to hell because they haven't made a personal commitment to a relationship with God. They've heard about it, but they haven't done something with it. So there's people in prison and there's people in churches who are still going to hell. It doesn't matter where you're at. It matters what you do with the word of God. Okay, Let's look at people who have had a passion for the word of God. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. No, I'm not going to read it to you. Um, Let's look at it. Psalm 119, 33 to 40. Um, Read it with me. Actually, before you just read the words off the wall, like the way that your brain works and how God has designed us is that by the time you reach the end of the sentence, you've actually visually read it six times. Okay, that's a memorizing. That's how the brain memorizes. By the time you go, teach me your decrees, O Lord. You've read that six times. Your brain is so much faster than your mouth. You can perceive things. So what I want you to do is take a little exercise here and think before you speak. Such a great principle for life. I wish I'd get a hold of that better. Um, Think before you speak. And see, is this really where my heart is, God? Is this really, this is this is how the the author of this psalm, this is how they felt. God, is that how I feel? Yes. Then this is my statement, not some other person's. This belongs to me, God. I want you to teach me your decrees that I'm going to keep them to the end, that I will not betray you. Like that's the I want you guys to like get that in your heart. If I, I pray that you can come to that place, so read it with me. Speak it with conviction. Teach me your decrees, O Lord, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. Isn't that awesome? How much we're looking for happiness and all kinds of other things. And we read right there that happiness is found walking in the footsteps of Christ, walking in the light of God. Um, So so the Israelites had a passion for the word of God. They had their kids growing up memorize the first five books of the Bible. Whoa, I know. Thank you. That is impressive because I don't think I could do that. OK, um, that's that's intense. And that's a passion for the word of God. That's where you realize, man, this will change your life forever. And lays a foundation for an intimate relationship with God like nothing, nothing ever will. Let's look at Jesus. He had a passion for the word. I hinted at this earlier. Ready? John 17, 17. Jesus says this is his prayer to God before he 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 was arrested. Um, this was his prayer to God, his prayer for us. Say me. This is Jesus' prayer for you. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Do you remember? Let's go ahead and pull up John eight thirty one there. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Wait a minute. Go back. Verse 31. See, we know that and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In fact, we love that so much. It's the motto for the CIA. It's in their little emblem on the floor in the marble Okay, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But here's the deal. How do you get the truth? Jesus said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. What is truth? God's word. And that will set you free. Look at first Peter. That's Jesus' expectation of us to remain faithful, John 8, and the blessings of obedience, freedom. When we obey the truth, we are free. 1 Peter 2, 2. Wow, I got to hurry up. I got a lot more to say to you guys. Um, first Peter 2, 2. This, this should be our passion, say my passion, for the word of God. It says, like newborn babies, you must crave, say crave. Okay, Gina knows what that means to crave, because she's pregnant. Okay? Crave. Raise your hand if you've been pregnant. All right. So so you have a real personal experience with this word. And and, And this is what Peter says, like newborn babies, you must crave. Pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for it. I need your word, God. I need to know you more. Man, I look at me. I've just totally messed this thing up. I, you think you can fix this? God, speak to me. Change my heart. I can't believe I just... Tore that person apart with my words. Moving on. Revelation. 10, 9. So John says, so I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. Oh, I wanted you to do a new American standard on that one. Um, the small scroll. So, uh, most translations uh, make that little book which is, it's talking about the word of God. It's talking about scripture. And it says, give me that small scroll. Yes, take it and say it, eat it. He said, it will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. The word of God will be sweet in your mouth. Your name is like honey on my lips, right? And it's talking about that it will be sweet to your mouth, but bitter to the stomach. That there's a lot of things in the word of God that can be bitter in your stomach. Why? Because it goes against what you want. I'll get into that in just a second. Um, I'm going to read this quote. Um, it's, it's from, where am I at? I'm over here. It's from an uh, expository. I, I liked how it f- talked here. It says, it's not enough for John to see this book in, in the hand. Um, Or even to know what it contains. It wasn't enough. He must appropriate it. He must make it a part of the inner person. The word of God is our food. And we must take it in and assimilate it before it can do us any good. Say assimilate. We must take it in and assimilate it before it can do us any good. It is good to read the Bible and study it. But we also need to memorize the word and digest it inwardly through the power of the spirit. The eating of the little book had a twofold effect on John. It was sweet to his taste, but bitter in his stomach, much like the effect of a two-edged sword of the word. And we enjoy the blessings of the word, but we must also feel the burdens of the word. Such as God's heart for the lost. The man you just really, this guy who just gets on your nerves and you don't like him at all. And God's heart breaks for him. And he wants you to minister to him. Okay. Okay. Quickly, I'm going to move through some cool things that I learned in my child development uh, when I was in college. Uh, raise your hand if you believe the statement and you learn something new every day. Most of you? Okay. I will tell you that you do. You can still learn something. Uh, if you feel you're too old, you're not. Stop believing the lie. Okay, I told you the, the word assimilation, right? The word assimilate means to take in to absorb and make it your own. Um, So let's look at this word, assimilation through association. It's connecting new information to old information to help retain it. You're taking in something by associating it with something else. So you create, oh, where is it at? Here, Alex, can you pull that chair over here? You especially see this with infants and toddlers. They learn this is a chair that Alex has. And then they come over to this thing. It looks different, but it's about the same height, got the same kind of a build. That's a chair. Then you got this thing that doesn't look like it at all except for four legs. Right? And so you're thinking, well, I don't know. It's kind of padded. It's a lot higher than the others. But we're learning. It's associated. It's got four legs and padding. It's a chair. Right? Yes? You're associating it with the first object that you know. And what about this? I'm making it a chair. But we know it's not a chair. It's a desk. Some desks have drawers. Some don't. Some have wheels and they move. And so what we are constantly learning that we associate things with something else to help us learn something. Moving on, assimilation and accommodation. Is that you learn new information, assimilate to make your own, to absorb. You learn new information and change the way you categorize things when there's a conflict. What am I saying? I'm saying that this is. This is how you view the world. Well, I need another box. It's okay. This is how you view the world. Okay? And the things in your environment, when we encounter information in our environment that makes sense to us, like this, it fits into our little cubby. It fits into our understanding, our world view. How we perceive things. Are you with me? Yeah? Um, so we, we can assimilate that information. We see this is, this is different, this is new, but I understand. It makes sense because I can compare it to this one over here. If it's in my cubby. I can understand that. And so when we encounter information in our environment that doesn't make sense, we are forced to alter our cubby hole or build a new one. That is called accommodating. We get this and it, it doesn't fit in our cubby. And even if we put it here, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. I can't shut the drawer. So now we have to accommodate. I know, I'm throwing some big words at you. Some of you guys love it. Some of you don't. Bear with me. Um, if you came over to Mark and Donna's house with that little, that little toddler, um, if you came over to to Mark and Donna's house for the weekend, they could assimilate, say assimilate, they could assimilate you into their household by having you follow their routine. You'll get up at 5.30, you're gonna watch Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street on TV, you're gonna have Cheerios for breakfast, okay? You're part of the fam. You're assimilated into their routine. However, if you stayed at their house for the weekend and they accommodate you, then instead, they will all get up at noon. They're going to watch Oprah and have cold pizza for breakfast, if that's your routine, okay? They change what they normally think and how they operate to accommodate this new information, this new thing that's come into their life. Moving on. (laughs) You watch Oprah? Good. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, last thing here. Next, assimilation by association. This is critical, especially for you who are new to this journey uh, on your walk with God. This is critical. This is being absorbed into a group or lifestyle through continual interaction. Have you ever been in a room full of people and suddenly you find that you're acting just like them? When normally you, you don't act like that. I, have you ever said of somebody else, like, she's never going to amount to anything? Look at her parents. Or have you said that? Um, <laughs> see, what, this, this comes down to something Pastor Joel has preached many, many times. And it's, it's part of um, the, the struggle with this. Is, is it environment or is it nurture? Is it what you're born with or is it what your environment is? And it's both and and what pastor Joel says what you live with you learn and what you learn you practice what you practice you become and what you become you reproduce and what you reproduce has consequences so what this is talking about is you're absorbed into a group or a certain lifestyle a lot of kids who go to Um, music school like for pop like he's going for violin which is like classical training when you're going for like rock and stuff like that and you're going for the arts and movie design and things like that there is a an intense pressure for um to be accepting of homosexuality and many many students get involved into that lifestyle of homosexuality, because they're drilled with it, that it's acceptable and it should be promoted and it should be in our media. Um, and, and it's because of their, who they associate with. Um, so what does this have to do with the Bible? I'm wrapping it up, guys, I promise. What does this have to do with the Bible? Assimilation through association, all right? That's the first one we talked about, the chairs, Okay. This is where you assimilate new, new things. The last thing I talked about was where you become part of a group. You become part. You are absorbed into a group. Now, you, we're talking about information. What does it have to do with the Bible? That we can learn and memorize the life-changing, life-giving truth of God's word by associating what we read with things that we're already familiar with. This is Reading Comprehension 101. You can associate the things that you read in the Bible And it's like, man, I don't understand what this this thing is here. Uh, What the heck is a lear or a liar or what are L-Y-R-E? And somebody tells you, oh, well, that's like a harp that David played. And so you associate, and instead of just getting all, I don't even know what the heck he has in his hands. I'm just, put it down. Because have you ever been there where you're just like frustrated with the Bible? Um, Instead now, you associate it with something you are familiar with. And it helps you to learn. Um, What is assimilation and accommodation? This is so key. This was at the heart. This is what I started my message with. When reading the Bible, you will come across something that is different, if not contrary to what you know. To what you feel, to what you understand, believe, or agree with. You will find something that rubs you the wrong way and you don't like it. Sometimes how God says things should be, which we don't see that in our life and that frustrates us. Sometimes how God says things should be and how we are to act as his children is radically different than what we're accustomed to. It is in these times that our love for God is genuinely challenged. Why? First John 5, 3, write that down. First John five, three, I'm going to I'm going to pull it up here. It says loving God means keeping his commandments. And really, that isn't difficult. If you love him, you will obey him and what his word says versus. Well, I'm going to go this. I'm going to read this line. Our values are questioned as we weigh out what God's word says. Versus what we have chosen to believe versus what we have grown up with. or have been taught over the years. You're taught to be an independent, self-made man. And then you find out we should rely on God. You're taught that you, you need to stick up for yourself. And you need to make sure people, make sure people know that you're not someone to be messed with. Not to be, you're not going to be picked on. You're going to stand your ground and you're, you're going to put them down. And Jesus says, you know, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. And it's like, whoa, hold on. I ain't going to be no sissy. You don't have to be a sissy. It's a bigger man to do that. Um, you're going to come across things that says this is how it should be. says you should respect your husbands. What? He doesn't deserve my respect. Do you know this man? If you respect him, if you do what the word of God says, you very well could see him come to the kingdom of God and be changed and transformed and treat you the way you should be treated. Amen? So... Too too many Christians try to conform the Bible to fit their comfort level and belief system. They try to take the Bible and make it fit around what they're comfortable with, with what they believe. And this is going to be hard for you to hear, but this is blasphemy and idolatry. This is blasphemy and idolatry. It's blasphemy because they're treating the Bible as something commonplace that you can just see do with it as you see fit tear a couple pages out of james because you don't like this what about the tongue you you tear a couple pages about this because and and you you make it fit how you want it to fit and you distort it so that you can somehow come across and 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 change it that it says homosexuals are are not entering the kingdom of heaven to god loves homosexuals and everybody should be homosexuals bible does not say that But we try to twist it and pervert it and conform it to what we want to believe, to what we are familiar with. And that is blasphemy. And it is idolatry because this is something that is sacred. The word of God is sacred. And it is idolatry because we're elevating our own understanding, our own desires of what we want, how we feel, what we think above the authority of God. And we become our idols. We worship ourselves especially in America. Um, so we must conform our lives and minds to the truth of God's word. Sounds really familiar to Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? How we have known and done life before is subject to change when we sincerely believe that the Bible contains the answers and boundaries for a blessed, God-honoring life. The assimilation by association, it's, it's what and who we are. Um, we surround ourselves with influences and, and decisions. Um, it, what and who we surround ourselves with influences our decisions. When someone accepts us as we are without requiring change. Let me say that again. When someone accepts us as we are without requiring change, the belonging that we feel It trumps any of our convictions about their moral character. This is why you'll have a pastor's daughter go and hang out with these bad people, the bad boys, because they accept her as she is. They don't require her to change. But she brings one of those boys into the church, and we require them to change. They can't dress this way. They can't act this way. They can't talk this way. And we don't accept them as they are. You have to change to fit into our group. That is not how this church should be. And I thank God. I believe that is not how this church is. You get prostitutes walking in here. And they are dressed a certain way. You know what? They need Jesus just as much as you. And yes, there's an appropriate way to handle that. To talk to them and encourage them. uh, As they transition. And get a hold of what God values. Um, But when we are accepted by people for who we are without being required to change. We don't care. That's called the halo effect. It's kind of like people who are racist, and but they have this one black friend. And it's like, yeah, but that's Jimmy. He's, he's different. He's not like all the other black kids, black people. It's called the halo effect. And, and that's where you give them a little angel. and you, They're different from what you discriminate against. And our morals and our convictions, how we really stand. No, racism is wrong. Okay, I'm not promoting that. But I'm saying if he was truly racist, if that's really how he felt, he wouldn't have a black friend. Do you understand? Do you agree with that? Okay, that's wrong. That is not, that's not how God's word says we treat each other. But that's application. And if you say that you are living a pure, clean life, you better not be sleeping at your boyfriend's house. Eventually, just like we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. Who you hang out with, bad company, I know you're trying to be a change. You're going to change them. I'm telling you, they're going to pull you off that ladder before you pull them up the ladder. Good influence. Bible has all kinds of scriptures here about who we associate with what we associate with let's look at second timothy i'm i'm coming up on the end i am right here this is my last sheet um in fact let's go ahead and, and pass these out um will you help thank you Will you help pass those out okay Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.22, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Who you associate with, what you do, what you spend your time thinking on, will permeate and, ch- and it affects your heart. and affects your relationship with God. Okay, the challenge that I've been given is I, I wanted to to talk to you guys, I wanted to encourage you that you can learn you can assimilate and accommodate new and you must accommodate when the Word of God says this and you believe that something's got to give, and I pray it's what you believe that the Word of God stands firm and it lasts forever what you believe we 're constantly changing our mind and so We must do that. And to assimilate, you'll see in your paper there, it's memorizing Scripture. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Raise your hand if you feel that it's difficult for you to memorize Scripture. About half the room. Okay. You can do it. Some people, memorizing things comes easy. Other people, it's not, but it's not impossible. You can do it. You must do it. Who should do it? Everyone. Seriously. Everyone should do it. What should we memorize? The promises of God. The attributes of God. That means who God is. There's a lot of things out there that that are talking about, well, this is who God is. and, And that's totally contrary to who he is. Some people think God is like this bully. This little fifth grader who's standing over an ant hill with a magnifying glass looking for somebody to fry. Okay? That's not who God is. And so understanding that God doesn't change his mind. You don't surprise God. Yes? Like, oh, I wasn't ready for that. God's up there in heaven. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? I wasn't ready for her to take that job offer. I wanted her to take this one. You, you, you know what I'm saying? That's not who he is. So when you, what should you memorize? You should memorize the attributes of God. Who he is. And the Romans road. Raise your hand if you know what the Romans road is. Oh, really? Come on. Raise your hand if you know what the Romans road is. Only a few? That's okay. This is great. This is something for you to learn. It is the way of salvation through the book of Romans. It's what, five, six verses? Was it five? I can't remember. I can say them to you. Um, there, it's, it's talking about how we are all in need of a savior, that we're sinned, we're, we're bad people, we need Jesus. And we are deserving of eternal punishment, death. This is the, the path, the Romans road. And then as you go through that, you find out that even though we were bad people, Christ died for us. And his gift is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And this is how you can have it. If you confess your sins. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? That's Romans Road. It's like five, I think, five verses. Seven. Okay, thank you, Dad. Um, Truth and apologetics. You should learn because, especially college students, why should you memorize scripture? Because there is an attack on what truth is. And apologetics is defending your faith, is what apologetics is. Um... And the last thing and this is probably one of the most important things that will help you to keep reading the Word of God, is life scriptures, say, life scriptures. Life scriptures are principles, commands and counsel for godly living. Romans 12:2 that we talked about here, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." That is a life scripture. How should we act? Uh, Philippians 4:13, "I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Philippians 1.6 says like um, that I am confident of this very thing that God who began a good thing and you will com- he will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not giving up on you. He ain't finished with you yet. OK, there's other scriptures. Psalm 139. If you can memorize all of that, then you're going to be and, and read through that for a month. What my friend Lauren talked about read that every day for a month and you'll see how your relationship with God just totally changes. Um, so when should you start memorizing scripture? Uh, duh. Today, today. I know I haven't made it to why, but you should memorize scripture, practice reading the Bible and, and, and maybe writing it down on note cards, on papers, make a decorative little paper and put it on your mirror or your wall. And you see it every time you walk out your bedroom door or whatever that, that has these scripture verses. When you're most alert, don't try to read the Bible and learn the Bible when you're half asleep, okay? In the morning, in the afternoon, whatever, right after dinner. That may not be good for some of you guys. I know, I'm like ready for a nap. Um, Where? Where should you read the Bible? Where should you start memorizing Scripture? You guys see this on your paper? Not around a TV, okay? Especially if you're ADD, okay? Okay? not around a TV. And you should do it with someone that will encourage you. Raise your hand if you have somebody that will encourage you in reading the word and memorizing scripture. That's not very many. That's not very many. We should all be, we're all in this together and we need to encourage one another. So find a place that's a calm environment. You guys can look at the scriptures for why. We should memorize scripture to become familiar with it, to take it from a book to a sword that I can actually use in my life and to keep you from sin, to be able to recognize false teachings, anti-biblical philosophy, the the false things out there, the humanism that's pervading our colleges that says that mankind is basically good. When the Bible says mankind is dark and depraved, whatever, and depraved, um, and, and we need a savior um, and how there's mnemonic devices. You can learn songs to help you memorize scripture um, stories. When you hear the stories of David and Goliath and things like that, and then repetition. What I wanted to show you is I was going to walk you through sometimes mnemonics. Do you guys know what mnemonics are? Mnemonics are kind of like acrostics and things that will help you memorize things. Some kids uh, sometimes they'll have where you can do a jump rope and say letters and spell them like a spelling bee. You'll do that, and, and that just that jumping and that timing will help you. Something that helps you memorize. So, um, like the five lakes, are homes, Huron, Ontario, uh, Michigan, Lake Erie, and Lake Superior. You guys with me, H-O-M-A-S? Yeah? Okay. So, here's one mnemonic device that I have, Galatians. Can you pull the Gospels? This is the New Testament, and it is right there. Those are the books of the Bible, of the New Testament, all 27. I know, you're thinking, okay, whatever. That's a mnemonic, that's how I memorized it, that's how I teach the teens. Um, I was an electrician, uh, in the apprenticeship for an electrician, so that's why I like the whole ARC, GE Power Company, Triple Threat thing. Let me walk you through this. The way that you do this is memorizing scripture, memorizing the books of the Bible, is you can create songs, you can create stories and, and mnemonics that will help you to, to keep, get it in your head. So bef- so as we, they become familiar with the books of the Bible, I give them this to associate the books of the Bible. You guys know what the Gospels are? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you've got Ark. Okay, the Gospels create poof, this explosion. okay. And you got this arc, like an electric arc. And the ARC stands for Acts, Romans, and Corinthians, which was 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You guys with me on this? Okay, so there's an arc, and we need the power company to come fix this devastation. So we call in GE Power Company, which is Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. GEPC, you with me? And they they send out their three best men, triple threat, which is triple... Threat, T-H. So it helps you remember that the first one is Thessalonians. You with me? First, second Thessalonians. And then they got first, second Timothy and this guy named Titus. And they go and they do their science stuff, P-H, which is acidic and base. You guys familiar with that? It's chemistry. They find the P-H of James, which is Philemon, Hebrews, and the book of James. You guys with me? Yes? And then after James, you got, they, they, they're doing their work and it's time for lunch. So they sit down and they eat their peanut, peanut butter and jelly, jelly, jelly sandwich, which is two P's, first and second Peter and three J's, first, second, third John. And then, I don't know, Jude and Revelation are just the last two books of the Bible. I know that from my memory. Okay, so that's that's the whole New Testament, the Old Testament and how I've memorized that is even crazier. Um, If you want, I can walk through that, but I know time is precious. Should I walk through that? I don't have it on the screen for you. All right, I won't walk through it. Um, so here's the deal. We've got bookmarks that have the books of the Bible. Uh, so you guys can look that. And, and and if you guys want to write that down, go for it. Um, you can learn the books of the Bible. So you're not like, oh, where is this at? When pastor says, open your Bibles to this. Um, there's there's all kinds of information out there in the hallway about Different uh, powerful scripture verses to memorize and to pray. And I really want to challenge you guys. Look in your bulletin. And on the bottom of your sermon notes, you'll see there's some challenging questions there. Personalize it. And, And do something with this. That today, you can take the power of the word of God and allow it to transform your heart, your life, your relationships. And yes, you've had a taste of it, but I promise you, as you invest in the Word of God, you will get way more out of it than you put into it. Amen? And I think that's it. We're going to. Here's Pastor.
1: Now, that is more what we would call a teaching. Okay? You may not feel like that's a sermon. You might. Whatever you do with that, you got to do something. Get the idea? So, you know, it's like I just wrote down, you know, would it be so easy for you to say some of you don't like all that stuff you put on the wall because that's not your learning style? But let me ask you a question. How much time do you spend on the computer? Now, how much time do you spend reading the Bible? And I'm going to tell you the fundamental problem with most people's life, is they don't spend enough time engaging God the way you engage Him. What, what Joel said is through reading the Bible. So why is it so easy to learn Facebook and Twitter and all these other things and languages and linguistics and yet we can't read the Bible? Do you see? So when Joel mentioned version, not everybody understands even the word version. You know what version means? Readability. If it doesn't make sense to you, Why people like the King James Version is because of a mnemonic device that it has sort of a little thing to it that as I'm learning it. See that? But you don't even know what the words mean. So stop it. Go to something that makes sense to you that you can read the word of God and say, oh, that's what that means. See, some people are so hooked up onto that. Here's the thing. There's nothing like read the book, read the book, I would challenge some of you, because I know your lives are on the computer, I would challenge you this week to read the Bible twice as much as you're on the computer. And you're going to tell me you don't have that much time. And I'm going to say then cut out the computer altogether. Wow. So why is that important? Because the Word of God is under attack. Because the Word of God, they're trying to diminish it, even in denominations. They're trying to say, ah, it's not relevant for today. Everything that you heard Joel say tells you it is relevant for today. Everything he said it talks about. You'll find a principle, a precept, a statute, a command. You will find something in the word of God that addresses that situation. If you don't know that, you need to read the book. Let's stand. You know, at the bottom of it, you see, I put what I wrote down. I felt like the Lord gave me last week, which says this. <clears throat> well. Wow.